not recording anything. All right. Oh. You guys just froze, so I don't know what's going on. That's so. Oh, no, you're good. Am I still in? You're in. Yeah, you're can you okay. hear us? Yeah. I can hear you, but I just can't see it. <laughs> All right. Video's frozen. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. This is your host, Nathan Nowak, along with KJ and Patrick. I am going to say that. And that sounded very similar to the way you guys roll into these episodes, I just realized. I think I'm really taking some of your uh, your intros and, and absorbing that. I was just thinking, you really like <laughs> marinate John Chi Show. Oh, I do? <laughs> yeah, you were like, welcome back to the John Chi Show. <laughs> and like any Koreans that I hear who they like, that's just part of their language. It's like, John Chi. <laughs> like, yeah. well, it's, it's very clipped. It's and so like, short. Welcome Chi. back to the John Chi Show. Oh, you sound good. Well, I, I take my time. Dark. It's yes, exactly. It's more of a radio show, it's but uh, we are the John Chi show. Would you Sirius like to explain 59. what John Chi is in your uh, dulcet tones? <laughs> John Chi means to feast or to celebrate in Korean, and we use that to celebrate who we are as Koreans, as adoptees, as Americans, and really as people. Is that good? This is KJ Roki. This is for NPR. This has been. <laughs> I'm Hourglass. That was great. That's a bad Hourglass. Sorry. That's a. I'm Guy Raz, and you're listening to How I Built This. There you go. Okay. That was good. good. My voice yeah. leans naturally more towards Guy Raz than Hourglass, I think. You should Which do. It's unfortunate because like, I can't stand Guy Raz as a, as a host. You should record uh, the voiceovers for like training modules. <laughs> training modules. <laughs> yeah, I thought about doing doing voice acting. I don't know. It seems like a fun thing that I I could do. I I definitely have a face for it. Okay. <laughs> Who are you, my dad? Get that joke yes. out of here. Yes. Yeah, Surprise. I liked it. <laughs> uh, that's good. Oh my god. Getting ready for the dad Surprise. jokes. Um, hilarious. Well, I appreciate them. So, <clears throat> yeah. How how you guys doing? Uh, we had our Lunar New Year's, so we're not going to talk about that because we feel like we've talked about it we're for the last done. four episodes. We're, we're done about talking year about the New like Year. Five it's now the old year. Yeah, we're not talking no more. No more New Year's. Um, no more, he says. It's already no well into the years. We are now <laughs> moving on to February, which is crazy. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but that felt really quick already that a twelfth of the year has gone by. One twelfth. Um, I don't know how to deal with the intersectionality of Lunar New Year happening and Black History Month. I was like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, uh, uh, there was like too many things, you know, like I'm trying to like be aware of too many things. So that's that's been a struggle. Also, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I was getting better at being a person of color. And now I'm like, I don't know how to do this anymore. So uh, <laughs> just drop a yes in in our Instagram feed if you also feel like that with no further context. Just yes. That's all. <laughs> yes. Okay. yes we'll no. We'll I know. saw a lot of people watching Rush Hour. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. <laughs> Maybe, I guess. Uh, I will say know. I really enjoyed those movies as uh, I growing I up. I know. I, honestly. Yeah. They were they were some 
Lee, how was supposed to know what you were saying? Doesn't mean you go this way, I go that way. (laughs) (laughs) You go this way, I go that way. Yeah. That was pretty good. Dual (laughs) impression. See, there we go. We're back to KJ's. uh, This is just going to be his demo reel right now. So (laughs) I do need a reel if I'm going to be a voice actor. That is true. true. I only have photos, which I mean, would (laughs) get me the job. As you just mentioned. Yeah, exactly. That's what the, the listener now knows that we're seeding okay. these reels we gotta, throughout. We got to focus up throughout this intro. This is weird. We're, <laughs> we're we're recording on a weird time, so I feel like we're all just like off our rhythm. And, yeah, I feel like anyways, it's hilariously on rhythm. We've got we've got exactly. some some this big news. Some big news. Some big life events, namely coming from Patrick's corner. You've seen it on his Instagram, unless you don't follow him, in which case <laughs> you haven't seen it on his Instagram. Which is why we actually want to bring it to the forefront today. Uh, so, Patrick, tell us about the Adoptee Citizenship Act, its amendment to the com- is it Compares Act? The Competes Act. Oh, the Competes Act. See, I've read your stuff occasionally. I made it to like <laughs> slide two as I skimmed. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, inform me, your mildly interested follower, what I've been liking recently. <laughs> yeah, so in 2000, Congress passed a law called the Child Citizenship Act, which granted certain intercountry adoptees with citizenship granted that they were under the age of 18 at the time the bill was enacted. Unfortunately, this left out tens of thousands of intercountry adoptees who were over the age of 18 when that bill went into effect. And so those impacted adoptees have had to live with diminished rights in the country, as well as the fear of deportation at any given moment because of their citizenship status. And so the Adoptee Citizenship Act, which just passed in the House on February 4th, would close this loophole by granting retroactive citizenship to the impacted adoptee community, as well as providing pathways to citizenship to adoptees who have been deported under the current law. That's awesome. And if I remember what I've what what I've kind kind of glanced at, uh, this is the first time that it's gotten this far in the process, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's that's never been getting correct. out of committees and stuff like that, right? <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. And so it's kind of it like kind of like worked its way around in the house to get this far, but it's still a huge step forward. Um, has this is to a pass big, in the a big first down for all yes. the football heads out there. It's definitely not yes. a touchdown. <laughs> it's not no. the game winner, but we're feeling momentum shift, right? Right. Yeah. So what's what's the next step? What's the next thing that we can do? So the next step is we have to get it through Congress or Congress. We have to get it through the Senate, and so. Um, The Senate passed a similar bill in June, uh, their version of the Competes Act, which did not include the Adoptee Citizenship Act. So while they go, so right now they're going to go to committee and reconcile the differences in the bill before sending it to the president. And so what we need to do is make sure not only that they continue to keep the Adoptee Citizenship Act in the reconciled version of the bill, but also that they send a finalized version. They get to the finish line with that Mm -hmm. overall bill and then send that off to be signed because at the end of the day, we're not out of the woods until the president signs us into law and the bill is enacted. So, um, that the next step is contacting your senators. Um, there are tons of different ways to do that. Uh, go follow adoptees for justice and go to their website. They have a lot of different ways that you can contact and get involved. Um, adoptee citizenship act.org also has ways that you can reach out to them as well. Um, yeah, so that's what we're, that's the next step is putting pressure on the Senate to get this done. Fantastic. And you can read more on the Forbes article <laughs> okay. featuring, Ooh, featuring Forbes. Patrick Armstrong himself. 
Way to go, Patrick, in yeah. the world. That was pretty impressive. That was not just the world. That was Forbes. <laughs> the world of Forbes. Wait, isn't that the world? Isn't that the yeah, world? it is. It's the same thing. Well, I appreciate that. I mean. No, I thought that was great. So keep up the good it's work. It's very humbling to um, have been able to do work like this. And I just appreciate all the support that's happened so far. Um, there's, oh, I will say we have a petition going right now as well. Uh, just another simple way to share your voice and share your support, um, and wanting to get as many signatures as possible. Cause that's another tool that we use in meetings with legislators, with their staff, um, to say, Hey, look at how many people support this issue. And, um, yeah, I even, I even wrote something about it back when, during NOM, uh, in November, yeah. <clears throat> There's a couple links back in, in the, my back in, the 60s. in November. I know <laughs> so no, long just, ago, but whenever you say Nam, I just like yeah, back when back in Nam, <laughs> like the Vietnam the Vietnam War. I know it's a different so Nam. Funny. <laughs> uh, National Adoptee Awareness Month. Um, but there was like a slide that said um, that actually had some good resources where you could contact your your senators and your um, your government and stuff like that. And I did do it at the time, so. If you guys are looking for that, go back and find those links and you can uh, contact your local politicians. Keep that thing rolling forward. Yeah, for sure. And you can go to the John Chi Show uh, link in our bio and you can sign the petition that way. Signing a petition literally costs you zero dollars. Um, it is entirely free to do and it's so easy to throw your support behind this thing. Um, I mean, it's, it's insane to me that you could have been adopted across national borders and then not been a citizen just because of these loopholes and then mm-hmm. the fact that they tried to rectify it and they still didn't do it the right way. Um, so it's just really important to me, uh, personally, just to like to see this co- go through. And, um, uh, so yeah, so I'm really excited for the progress of that and, uh, and the moment that we're in, you know, and the momentum and all those things. Um, but yeah, speaking of moments and momentums, we have an incredible guest this week. We're doing something different because we're doing back to back interview shows, but mm. we had to capitalize on the moment <laughs> we had to seize Catholic. the moment we do have to seize the day carpe yes. diem yes. yes um specifically seize the the person in a in a totally friendly and consenting <laughs> okay. way <laughs> that's, that's the best way going. i could have said that right all right i mean i'm gonna roll with it let's roll with this i'm gonna leave it in <laughs> amazing um yeah we have michelle lee on the show and this interview is just so much fun and uh i don't know i didn't expect it to be as fun as it was um after and i don't know i don't even know it was it was awesome and i can't wait for you guys to hear it we felt very asian afterwards okay like that nice (laughs) hashtag hashtag very asian um it was a really incredible interview and i'm not gonna spoil anything here so without further ado let's roll that clip get into it Welcome back to the John Chi Show. We have an incredible guest joining us today. She's a mom, a wife, a lover of big breed dogs, and an award-winning news anchor. Michelle Lee is here. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us oh on the show today. God. Wow. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for your interest. <laughs> I'm I'm so glad that we can connect. Absolutely. I'm so glad that <laughs> you have the time to sit down uh, and do a podcast. I mean, you're you're someone that's incredibly busy right now, not only with just your regular work, but with everything else that's been going on that we'll get to. Uh, definitely want to touch on that. But um, as we start all of our shows and all of our interviews, wanted to ask you to share as much or as little as you'd like about your adoption story. Okay. 
How much time do we have? We have as much time as you're willing to give us. (laughs) It's your world. We're just living in it. (laughs) Wait, are we just going from the beginning? You guys want to hear my adopted story? I mean, it's just however yeah, you want to tell that story. Yeah, oh, a, this okay. is kind yeah. of open to for you to help. We that's how we kick it off. Just some people like to share a lot. Some people like to stare a little bit, and we build from there. So whatever you feel most okay. comfortable with. Okay. Well, um, let's see. I came to Missouri when I was six months old, and um, my parents, Charles and Sharon Sherwood, um, were very like blue collar. Like my dad was a construction worker. My mom did like whatever jobs, um, she could. And then, um, grew up in rural Missouri, like towards South Kansas city ish. Um, but when I was a kid, I did like Korean heritage camps and random things like that. I don't know if you guys ever did those. And one year, Oh, really? So it's kind of interesting because there was an adoption agency in Tulsa that was not my adoption agency. I was adopted through Holt. Um, Yeah, I'm adopted through Dylan. I'm adopted through Dylan. I was raised in Oklahoma, uh, north of Tulsa. Oh my God. You never went to a Dylan camp? No, I didn't even know about him. (laughs) I didn't even think my parents knew about him. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait. Should I ask how old you are? Uh, 45. (laughs) Okay. Well, okay. We would have been. But we're not ages on the show. It's okay. Yeah, we're not ages on the show. That is the one rule. Well, I'm 42, so there would have been. They should have been. We would have been kind of on the cusp of things because, see, when I went, I was like 14. That was my first first one. So you would have already been in high school. Yeah. Um, And the first one, it was like they didn't have. They only had a few older kids like me. So I had to be like a junior counselor for all these little like four-year-olds and stuff. Mm. So, um, so really, you know, that was kind of how I started going, but I never really went as a camper. Like I went as a junior counselor because there just weren't, because there just weren't enough kids my age. So, um, but I started doing that. Like I, I went to Tulsa like every summer and did that Um, probably starting in 1994 ish. Yeah. That would have been, yeah. Um, and then when I was a, senior in high school or when I was a junior in high school one of my friends who was a senior from Parsons Kansas went back to Korea and did like the Dillon International like I think it was called a motherland tour back then and um when my friend Parker did it I was like oh I want to do that too so my I told my parents and so the next year after I graduated I went with Dillon to go to Korea and so I, since I was a Holt baby, like I had to stop at the Holt office, like they give you a day to kind of do that and, um, went through my file and I said, Hey, um, do you think that I can meet my birth parents, my, my birth mom? And this social worker was like, that's not how that works. Like you've got to go back to <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, we've got a whole process. What are you doing yeah. just showing up here? <laughs> yeah, coming yeah. here with your American ideals. Yeah. I like, yo, can I meet my birth mom? Is that cool? Exactly. Like, do you think we just know where she is? <laughs> I'm like, this is a small country. Can't you guys find yeah. it? <laughs> For real, that's what I was thinking. So um, they like, so it was funny. She was like, that's not how that works. You've got to go back to the United States and then we do a search and then maybe like next year you can come back. And I was like, what? So I like had never really thought about that process of like searching for birth family. But I think going back to Korea, I was in it. You know, like I was totally like, Oh my God, this, I was born here, you know? So, um, I started crying, like wailing, like hyperventilating. And, um, the social worker 
she couldn't have been much older than me. She was probably like 22, you know, and I was 18 or something. I'm just guessing. Um, and so I like left the office thinking like, I'm never going to find my birth family. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, that's just, that's just not in it for me. And, um, then she called like a few days later, like, and talked to one of the social workers who, you know, was like running our tour. And she was like, um, I just want to let you know, um, Michelle's birth mother, we contacted her, she wants to meet her. And so she actually took a train last night to Seoul. <laughs> it was what? like, what? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> But at that point, we had already left on the on a tour bus to go south uh, to Busan. But like we were going from like Seoul and we stopped in like Gyeongju. We like did all these other little stops first. So the long story short is that my Korean family is intact. My birth mother and my birth father are still married. And then I have three full-blooded biological sisters, two wow. of which are older and one is younger. And so the way the story goes, and it's been um, interesting because it's kind of changed a little bit over time, but um, basically they were married and my oldest sister is probably, I want to say she's probably three years older than me. And my, I should know this because I've known her now since I'm 18, but I just refuse to <laughs> put that in my brain, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then my second oldest sister is a year and a half older than me about. Um, and then... So she, so imagine this, like this woman has a three-year-old and a one and a half year old. She's married to this guy who has taken a job kind of like on a ship. So he's like overseas a lot. And so she's basically pregnant with her third child. And she's like, what in the, why would I want three kids under three years old and no help? You know? So, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think she was really thinking that, but I think she was like, what are we going to do? We're poor. And hopefully this kid will be a boy. I think that's probably what she was thinking. So um, so I've heard two different versions that like one that my father's oldest brother, who's like 20 years older than my father, um, was like, uh, giving pressure for my mother to have a son. And then I didn't, and then she didn't have a son. So that was one version. The second version was she went to the hospital, which was a free clinic in Busan and, um, gave birth to me. No one came and saw me, um, or saw her. And so she was like, well, what am I doing ha trying to have three kids, you know, and living like a single mom? So it doesn't matter. The end result is that she relinquished me right there. And then when she came home, it wasn't long after um, Well, she told she told my birth father that I had died at birth. And then when he came home, he got her pregnant right away. And so my youngest sister is like 14 months younger than me. So I was born in October and she was born the next December. So, um, and so he was home. So they kept her. So she had carried that secret with her for 18 years that she had this third child living in the United States. And then it wasn't until I came back to Korea and was like, I want to look at my file that she, that someone called her and was like, Hey, did you have a daughter on this day? Because she's in Korea if you want to meet her. So imagine this woman you know, in her forties having to tell her husband, Oh yeah. Remember that child that died at birth? Actually, that child's not dead. And actually that child is here in Korea if you want to meet her. And so they had to call my two oldest sisters from college to come back and they had to tell them the news. And then they all as a family took like literally the midnight train to Seoul to come see me, but we had already gotten on the bus to go to Busan. So it took like, um, I don't, rem I can't remember exactly. I'd have to get out my journal, but it took like, you know, a couple of days for us to meet 
But like mm-hmm. every day I was given new information. Like it was oh. like, and then your father thought you were dead. And then <laughs> you're, you have a sister. You know, it was always like these new things that I was like, oh my gosh, okay. Um, so fast forward to like 2016, I was living in Seattle and my sister was living in Korea. Um, and she had been living, she had already lived in the States for a little bit, um, but like had to go back to Korea and she, her green card was going to um, run out if she didn't come back into the country. You know, if she let, let like a year go by. Mm-hmm. So I said, why don't you live with us in Seattle? So she came to Seattle and lived with us. Um, and then I stupidly, not stupidly, put her on a dating app. And then she met her husband, Steve. Uh, and they got married in mini in Minneapolis, and now they live in Texas. So, um, so it's kind of interesting. My birth sister lived with us for a while, um, and then um, got married, and now is really. That's happy. wild. Wow. Yeah, That's so wild. wild. It's wild because I, I don't know of anyone who's actually had the experience of bringing their birth family to the states and living yeah. with them, and kind of. Uh, taking on that responsibility because at first it was like, you know, we had to get her services. We had to get her, you know, she had no income. She had no, she had nothing. And it was like, um, she needed some help to get, to kind of get um, reacquainted into the United States and all those things. Um, You know, because of like my, the, the way our family is like, I found out later that my birth mom has had a sister in San Francisco. So then I met her um Whoa. My, so you've my, been in reunification with like a lot of your birth family extended. oh yeah well now everybody now everybody like all the uncles and aunts um cousins um but it's taken time so like right. that was mm-hmm. 1998 then i came back in 2000 and i remember they were like oh well we just told our family about you and i'm like <laughs> two years like what because i think that they, were, they had to deal with the shame you know of like yeah, they had yeah to absolutely out. And even like in 2009, we went back, my husband and I were married for about a year and we went back for like a Korean wedding. They wanted to do a Korean wedding. I did not want to do that because we were already married, but um, they insisted on it. And so when we went back, um, it was really interesting because that's when I found out that they hadn't told their friends about me. So it was just a strange, it's a strange thing because they have to protect themselves in Korean culture. Um, And sometimes I don't agree with that. And, um, and I have gotten kind of heated about it. Like, I'm sorry that you're ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. Um, I'm not going to like, if you're too ashamed of me, then I can't be in the space in the same space as you. Right. Um, Sure. I don't quite say it that harshly, you know, but I know that they have, but then, you know, as you get older, things change too. Cause it's like, well, you have to do whatever to protect yourself and live your life. Like mm-hmm. if you're going to, if right. it's going to ruin your life, then don't bring me up. I, I'm fine. Like, you know, whatever. But culturally it, we're different too. I mean, there, yeah. you know, there's a lot of difference. We've heard this too. That a lot of times there's a lot of Korean culture that is like ashamed of it and they don't talk about it and they try to just uh, you know, pretend it's not have, there. Have you ever had a Korean person tell you like, a, I always say Korean, Korean. <laughs> have you ever had a Korean, Korean person tell you like, Oh, I'm so sorry you're adopted that's too bad. That's, oh, that's a shame, shame. Have you ever heard, had anyone say that to you? Yes. And, and in <laughs> no. way more like where they're, they're ashamed that, that we don't know more about our culture mm-hmm. as well. So it's not just, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's, oh, I'm sorry. You know, that, you know, you don't speak Korean or you don't uh, know more about your, your, your heritage and things like that. So yeah. I've, I've heard that 
pretty Yeah, frequently. I mean, in my experience, it's more been like they feel the weight of like adoption on themselves and like, oh, I'm so sorry that this was your upbringing and well, come here, let me give you all the food and show you mm-hmm. how to, you know, those kinds of things. Oh, it's not like, it's not like it. a, not like a, oh man, that must be so tough for you. It's more just like, I'm so sorry for your existence. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me let me help both. help try to reconcile yeah. that that's the, the the side of it that i've experienced yeah, yeah i think i've had both experiences i think i think the the shame shame style of experiences have been fewer and further between for me personally but i will say that i've spoken to plenty of korean adoptees who have not had that a, a pleasant yeah. experience with any other korean people because they're adoptees And I mean, I can't imagine trying to navigate that and especially navigating it within your own family post reunion, should that Mm -hmm. happen. Especially when you were originally thought to be a ghost. You're like, I'm going to be a ghost? Exactly. (laughs) I know. Well, it's so weird because um, a lot of people, even just recently, someone DM me and they were like, you're so lucky you found your birth family. And, you know, there are a lot of days when I do feel more lucky than I don't feel lucky. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. like really fortunate that I have that knowledge, but then there's like a lot of things that you just don't get. Like you, you would think that after knowing them for more than 20 years that I would have closure on where I was born or the conditions of my birth or even health things. I don't know any of those answers because Korean people tend to be silent on a lot of those things Mm -hmm. or because they still want to save face. They don't tell you the whole truth. Mm -hmm. And, no, and I don't mean to be to bash Korean people because I actually really love Korean culture and love my birth family, but it it still seems conditional. You know, it doesn't necessarily seem unconditional. It's not like it was like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is you know the best thing that's ever happened to me. You know, forget all these things that happened in my life here or whatever. It it was actually really complex, and it made it more complicated for me to embrace Korean culture because I was like, well, shit, now I, t- like you guys aren't helpful either. You You're know, like, do I want right. to get into <laughs> yeah. this culture that seems to have a lot of baggage? Cause I got plenty of my own. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I need extra baggage. <laughs> and then there's this whole thing about the Korean appearance, you know? So it's like, even yeah. when I was like 120 pounds, it was like, Oh, you should really lose some weight, you know, or maybe just get your nose in just a little bit or, mm-hmm. um, you know, oh, your skin is too dark, like all this stuff that I was not willing to really change. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it's like not even people trying to be mean to you. That's just that was this just how it is. Then. Yeah, like yeah, you know, right. you, you're going to get your butt grabbed and your arms grabbed, and someone's going to go, oh, couldn't dang it, you know, or like whatever. And you're like, <laughs> okay, that's cool. Like, and you're like, um, my BMI is fine, <laughs> thank you. Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, no one does that now, but I mean, you know, maybe it's because I'm just an old. Now I'm considered maybe you know, an older person, so they won't do it. But like, I mean, I remember they wanted to buy me like all these things to make up for lost time. And so they took me to the, took me to the, you know, the department store. And it was like, the people would be like, Mm-mm, no, you cannot buy here. <laughs> you know, because I was too like, big. Yeah, you're not going to fit. Yeah, I was like oh, a size oh. six, you know, and I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. no, 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 we only serve like, double zero. You know, and I'd be like, like in oh, Korea, no. size six is size 40. And you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I literally remember them. Ta- so then my family took me to the market, like, you know, Nam Dae Moon or something or Itaewon. Wan. I can't remember. It was probably Nam Dae Moon. Literally held up these big, giant underwear. Like, it was like... <laughs> That's why they thought I was. I was just like, how can you not conceptually understand that my butt is not that big? Like it was literally like four XL. 
the, but that's the only place I could buy uh, clothes even back in the nineties, you know, because it was like, Oh, I'm a size six. That's way too fat. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just <laughs> stuff like that, that like, you know, your self-esteem is just not going to get lifted um, just by going to Korea um, and hanging out with your Korean family. And then, you know, just not ever really knowing the truth, um, whether they forget, you know, like you have to have some sort of forgiveness to your birth family because it's like, well, you're probably not going to get the full truth, even if you can look them right in the face and ask them directly. Um, they're probably not going to give it to you or you'll get a version of it, but it's going to be, you know, a little bit, um, you know, glossed over. And even I think when people, that's the thing when even they go back to Korea or back to their birth countries and try to get information from the um, adoption agency, a lot of the social workers also gloss over stuff um, and they advocate more for the birth families than they do for the, the children, for the adoptees. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least we've seen that, you know, so, um, so yeah, you just have to be kind of content with like never knowing, like, you know, never knowing. My sister's really good because she'll translate, she'll ask things, but it's still dependent on my family giving the right information. And a lot of times it's like, well, this is what they said last time, but here's what I really think, you know? So yeah, okay, right. whatever. they have that, that nudgy <laughs> to read between the lines. Yeah. 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 It's, fr- I, it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. Yeah. I can or only imagine how frustrating that would be. Yeah. I think something that really sticks out to me is that you went to, a culture camp, not as a participant, but as a counselor to fill a space. And then that led you, and this was in high school, and then that led you to going to Korea. And then going to Korea at 18 immediately turned into a reunion. And I think what I think why that's so wild to me is just the really condensed and early timeline that this is happening on. Because I think we had a lot of conversations with other adoptees who have been in reunion where it's taken a long time or, or even just like us, you know, it took a long time for us to even get to a point where we're even approaching culture in a meaningful way. a long time way. for us to even hear about camps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we even know what a camp was. Exactly. And I yeah. think that, I think that really sticks out to me because it's just, it's again, a testament to how unique every adoptee's story is to where we can continue to uncover new things that are happening, new experiences that we can have in, in a lot of these similar areas. And I know that you've been involved and immersed kind of maybe not in adoptee culture, but adoption culture specifically, as well as getting rooted in like your Korean culture and heritage. And I know that you've done a lot of work in both of those spaces. So I was wondering how being in reunion and how getting those experiences earlier on did that fuel you or play a, a pivotal role in, in making decisions to work with certain organizations or doing certain things within those spaces? Or was it really, did you feel like that that was kind of a trajectory that you would have found yourself on anyway, just because it seems like you took the initiative? You know, I can think of a couple people who have t- taken initiatives around some of this stuff, but um, especially within your story, very much like going to get after it immediately. Where like me, I'm like 30 and I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll try and do stuff now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're out just, you're just living your life. You know what I mean? And um, to me, it's like, I feel like a lot of the stuff that's happened to me has been dumb luck. And I don't want to be like, oh, the universe, it was meant to be. But there's a, I mean, I wasn't really some sort of like activist kid who was like, I need this camp, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) it was literally like, yeah, I mean, I just was kind of like, oh, that sounds like fun. Gee, you know, 
Um, and it was like a week away from my parents. Hell yeah. Sorry, yeah you know? um, and back then I thought Tulsa was so cool too, you know? So it was like, yeah, so I'm going to go to Tulsa. Tulsa was cool. Sorry. I had to laugh it okay, over you know? for a second. It's fine now. But yeah, back then you'd be like, really? Tulsa? Sorry, Oklahomans are listening. Wait, Friends did, did you ever grow up going to Casa Bonita? Did you ever do oh, that? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. It's reopening here in Denver. That's a whole nother story, but it got bought out by Matt Stone and Trey Parker from South Park. No, in Denver and it's being reopened. So there's only two of them, or there were only two of them, Denver and Tulsa. Oh my god. Side that is that is an experience. It it was like, yeah, I mean Tulsa was like it. Yeah, Tulsa was uh, it. (laughs) Hey, you had Silver Dollar City, as I've said before in the past. God. Uh, <laughs> no, no. So SDC is not great. What? Like, uh, SDC is like a bastion. Okay, worlds of fun and oceans of fun oh, in Kansas City. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! This is like <laughs> the way of that Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're in the same same um, yeah. the and same basic uh, youth. My first job was Brahms, by the way. So. <gasps> <laughs> oh my gosh, is so good. And then you could buy milk. Brahms Boys is back. You could buy Brahms yeah. Boys is back. <laughs> Just had to throw it out there to someone else who knows it. So Yeah, because <laughs> early in the show, Nathan and I would reminisce about Brahms, and Patrick would be like, what is Brahms? And I'm in Indiana. I don't know what that is. So yeah. um, Brahms and like Whataburger. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. I love Whataburger. Um, yeah, what else yep. did I love? Oh, my gosh. Okay. That's anyway, perfect. yes. Okay, so I think a lot of it was was kind of just like dumb luck. Like, I mean, I don't even know how I got a Dylan newsletter in the mail. Like, that's the thing. Like, as a Holt kid, I don't know how I got it in the mail, other than Mm -hmm. I may have gone to a Dylan thing when I was like four, um, because we did live um, outside of Tulsa when I was in kindergarten, um, just for one year. And so, yeah, I'm sure we went to like one Dylan days or something, and then... 10 years later, they send out newsletters or something. I don't know. Um, but I will say that meeting. That. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, mean, I literally, like, how did you find me? I have no idea. I'm um, calling my parents after this. Guys, did you ever get a Dylan <laughs> letter? <laughs> did you, they threw it away, they said. Yeah, they probably did. <laughs> we don't um, need this. Exactly. Well, no. So I, I have really no idea, but I, and it was like just this little blurb about camp. And I remember I just asked my mom and my mom was like, yeah, if that's what you want to do. That's totally cool. And so, you know, they had like a host family. So you stayed with another adoptive family and, and their kids. And um, I would say I did not realize how much that gave me in terms of confidence. Because mm-hmm. it was like, it wasn't about seeing other Asian kids. It was about seeing other Korean adoptees. Even if they mm-hmm. were like 10 years younger than me, it was still mm-hmm. like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. There are a bunch of you guys down here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there were a couple of girls that year who were like my age or a little bit older. So that was exciting. They didn't end up coming back. But, um, but I got to meet kids my first year, you know, who were my age. And then... Um, then meeting my birth family and going to Korea was like totally a life-changing event. I mean, that was like, holy shit, like, what am I going to do with this information now? Um, and then, you know, what do I, do I want to be more interested in Korean culture, period? I mean, mm. at camp, I never was really interested in the culture of things, even though we did culture things. I was just more interested in the, in the other adoptees. Mm-hmm. But now it was like, well, I had this opportunity to go to, uh, I went to the University of Kansas and they had Korean language. So I studied Korean language for two years. 
and um, got pretty decent at Korean language and then now for, have forgotten all of it. Um, <laughs> I just know enough to be like, I like that. I don't like that. It's too expensive. That's delicious. My stomach hurts. <laughs> uh, I, learn my I stomach like that hurts. sequence my of events right there. Hurts. That's yeah. the, those are the that's those yeah. are the phrases I need to learn. I've learned I've learned all of them except I should probably learn my stomach hurts. I also don't know like bathroom. I know toilet, but I don't know. I probably don't know. But is bathroom. Pajang-chil. Yeah. Yeah. So I, just, I was like, I could probably cobble it together, but yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, funny. all you have to do is say the word, and someone will point. You know, the yeah. word, like, I remember I was like learning stuff like you know asking legitimate questions like well, which way to the to the department store or whatever give me these long directions and i'd be like okay forget it that was i wasn't trained you know. in listening i'm so sorry yeah. <laughs> so you, you ask like how much something is you know and then they give it to you and you're like uh well that was fun that was a good practice can <laughs> yeah, you write exercise. it down for me <laughs> well, yeah, I'm an American. i don't listen at all yeah. i just yeah. say things loudly yeah so i just um so that happened to be a turning point in my life, but I didn't like earn it. You know, I didn't like seek it out. I didn't do, I mean, I guess in some ways I took the steps, but I had no idea that we were going to meet my, my birth family. And in fact, if we, if I knew that, I think I would have had my mom and dad go, not that they mm. could have afforded it. I mean, it was really, you know, hard, it was kind of a hardship for us to go. Um, but like, we would have probably made that happen. Nonetheless, my birth mom and my mom met each other. Mm, I want to say in 2016 when wow. we moved to Seattle. So, um, no, no, no. Before that, actually before that, because when my aunt, okay, let me tell you another quick story. My, my birth mother and father told me when I was in college. So after I had already met them, um, like two years later, they were like, by the way, you have, uh, I have a, your, your mom has a sister who's living in the United States. And I was like, what? So, um, she was an older sister of my mother, my birth mother. And so I would talk to her on the phone. Um, and then one year, like in 2010, I went to go meet her. So like, this is like way, this is like, I graduated eight years after, you know, and, and met her. And um, it was interesting because she, you know, had a part, a life partner and all this stuff. But she had said, I never knew you existed. If I had known that you were born, I would have adopted you. And, in, and that was mind blowing too, because I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> like, no, thank you, but um, cool. And um, so then a couple of years later, she actually went into like liver failure. She had like all these problems. And so my birth mom was like, I need to say goodbye to my sister. They hadn't seen each other in like 20 years, um, but just talked on the phone a lot. So my birth mother is flying into San Francisco. My birth aunt is like, actively dying and they were like hold on because your sister's coming your sister's coming so my birth mother lands in san francisco gets to the hospital literally holds on to my aunt's her sister's hand and she dies like wow. she dies within the hour of my birth mother landing in san francisco so then at the same time like we were already we had already booked our tickets so i was going to san francisco and then my mom was like well oh my gosh if your birth mom's coming then i need to come too so it was like we were all merging and coming into san francisco but like had nowhere to stay because like my aunt had already died so we stayed with my aunt's friend and um and she took care of us for like four days which was really nice but um but yeah so that changed like everybody's life like you know just having this 
these weird set of circumstances that kept bringing us together, I guess. Um, and yeah, I don't know if it like did anything. I don't think it made me like an activist for adoption or whatever, mm-hmm. but it definitely made me have a heart for everybody involved mm-hmm. because, because yeah. there are times when you're like, you know, screw these people, screw this situation. Um, these people didn't care about me. And, um, and then F this cause I don't belong here either. And right. then when you actually go like, you know, when you're in that situation, then you go, wow, I can understand why you did what you did. Um, or I can understand at least how difficult that was for you. I've um, also gone to unwed mother's homes and that's a really intense experience. I don't know if they still do that, um, but they used to line up women, like pregnant women, like at this table. And we would, as adoptees, sit there and ask questions back and forth. It was gut-wrenching. Like none of these mothers wanted to give their children away. None of them wanted to relinquish them but felt like they would not have a future in Korea. Um, you know, because the saying is like, once you're an orphan, you're always an orphan. Like sometimes you don't even get like the, like you can't find jobs, like all kinds of crazy stuff because of the way that the system is. Um, and it's like, I don't know. Um, I just have never met a birth mother who was like, screw these kids, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want anything to do with them. I, I, one time we went back and um, there was a, a daughter, a, a girl who was like 16 and she, they located her birth mom. And so they were going to, they asked the birth mom if she would meet her. And the birth mom said, I can't meet you. I'm remarried. My, I have an, a toddler. My son, my husband has no idea that you exist. And so I don't know what happened, but the birth mother had a change of heart, shows up at the, at Eastern where we were staying. I think it's like Eastern, it used to be Eastern Child Welfare Society. Now it's like Eastern something else. And I always get it confused. But anyway, the mom shows up, looks exactly like the daughter. Like <laughs> exactly. It was mind blowing. I have never seen that again. Because when I met my birth family, I was like, can you guys show me proof that um, we're, <laughs> we're related? Because well, I don't yeah, no. we look like don't at need all. in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, um, looked exactly the same and then when we left Korea and so then she kept sneaking back the mom kept sneaking back to come you know be with her daughter and then she would like bring her the toddler son so I'm sure that that son's now like 20 thinking like what the hell was that you know um but like when we left Korea we leave on a bus and back then we would also take babies to escort back to the United States um so we had like babies with us they're crying you know everyone's crying because we're leaving korea and then this birth mother shows up unexpectedly to say goodbye to her birth daughter literally like throws herself in front of the bus like is and like pounding her chest and like rubbing it i mean just like inconsol inconsolable um i've just never met a birth mother who didn't really care for their child or like thinks about their child um and so i'm sure that there are people like that who exist i've just never met any of them and so when i see stuff like that um yes sometimes i get really angry about my adoption but at the same time it's like you see what my life i i know what my life would have been um so i don't have a lot of like um I guess frustrations with adoption. I mean, mm, I do yeah. and I don't. Uh, it doesn't eat eat at me like it used to, probably. Yeah. Or, or maybe because it happened when I was so young, it didn't. You know, I didn't have a chance to let that kind of um, let that feeling grow. I guess. Well, I think um, also you 
got involved with so much of the system and got to see so much of it at an earlier age too. You know, I think a lot of people come and, and, and when they start to come to terms with their adoption, I think, and become critical of the system, it's, we're also caveating, you know, this both and like, and I love my family, but you know, like I'm learning all this stuff about adoption. That's like, doesn't, that doesn't really line up with everything that I've been told about it. And I think for, in your, in your case, I feel like you've had, you got so much experience early on that you're able to build, like, I think adoptees are naturally empathic, but you were able to build like a level of empathy with all the different parts of the constellation. I think that's something that's really important that adoptees don't necessarily get access to or have the opportunity to, like you said, you know, it was luck almost a lot of it was luck to you to get to that point. So yeah, I do think it was luck in many ways. My parents were like super cool, but like they were farmers, you know, they weren't like woke people being like, you need to go to camp and you need to do all this or be, I mean, there are lots of times when my dad just was like, I was really scared that you were going to Korea and potentially meeting your birth family. Like I did not mm. want you to do that at all. Um, you know, but it's like, well, sh- he was also like, you're also 18. So, you know, what could I have done? you? <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, when I came back, my dad was like, I'm still your dad. You know that, right? Like he was kind of mad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course. Um, so it's, it's weird. Yeah. I do think just the, ha- the, just the way things worked and the way I had that introduction earlier, I definitely mm-hmm. think um, built some sort of like inner confidence in me about my adoption, but it didn't prepare me still for like being out in the world as an Asian looking person. So that's sure. what I'm pissed off about most of the time now, you know, Absolutely. like yeah. Yeah. you go out in the world and people don't know that you're Charles and Sharon's daughter or don't know that you had this like Missouri upbringing and you're probably more redneck than any of them, you know, um, not to say that I'm a redneck, but you know what I mean? Like I just had <laughs> You want to talk about ag? I'll talk about ag. Let's <laughs> yeah. talk about ag. I mean, like I was- I did the dairy competitions. <laughs> yeah, I was in FFA for a year. Yeah, I mean, FFA, okay, you know, like, yeah. we were. My wife and I were just talking about FFA the other day. That's funny. Yeah, I literally yeah. had never heard about that until I moved what? to the Midwest, and then I was like, I thought that was just a joke in Napoleon Dynamite. I didn't know people did this for real. No, it's they a real do. thing. It's a real thing, and it's a serious thing. Like, don't mess with FFA. Yeah, once kids. we like, once we moved to Springfield, I was like, oh, okay. Wait, Springfield, where? Missouri. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I lived in Springfield for we uh, have a number a, of years. You, you intersect with us in a lot of places. You've intersected with us in a lot of places, I think. I was, I was raised in Dallas, Texas, and then my wife and I uh, lived in Springfield for like a decade, basically, and we just recently what moved back. Um, we lived there from 20... Well, I guess we were in the Midwest for a decade. We lived in Springfield from 2015 to now, basically, oh, or to last year. Dang. Okay, so I was there from 2003 to 2010. Gotcha. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it's funny because like the best Korean restaurants, in my opinion, are in Springfield. Um, and I have a lot of great friends in Springfield. They got I some mean, good, some good Korean food there. Yes, they do. Did you go to Sue's? Yes. It uh, didn't make it through the pandemic, but that place was baller. What? It yeah. didn't? Sorry to break the news. Oh, no. I, no. I'm so sorry to be the, the bearer of bad news. Show. It's not an exclusive, but it is an exclusive to Michelle. So <laughs> apologies. But they did just open a Korean fried chicken joint, which I'm super excited about. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, well, you know, it's so. funny because I loved Springfield. Um, I love the people. Like, I met my husband there. We technically got married in that time, even though I refused to get married in Springfield. So we got married in Hawaii. Um, <laughs> but, like... Uh, 
but at the same time, I had some of the most racist shit happen to me in Springfield. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, just at work, like professional racism or something. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, you know, um, well, Michelle, what, what is, I have said this. So people in the news have heard this, have heard me say the story a million times. But I remember one of our managers said, someone asked like, hey, are we going to have like a Spanish speaking newscast like our competitor because we have such a big Hispanic population? And our manager said, well, you know, minorities only make up 3% of the population here. So there's just really no business plan for them. And I complained and I got in trouble because I complained and they were like, we know that you complained. We know that it was you. And so I was like, I felt like I was, you know, blacklisted forever. And on Mm -hmm. top of that, I used to, I said during contract negotiations, I, you know, said like, well, doesn't it matter that I'm the first Asian American to anchor this, you know, particular newscast or whatever. And my boss was like, no, because there just aren't enough Asian people to care. Like nobody cares about that. Um, I also had people like call me Michelle Kwan, you know, like whatever, uh, Crony Chong. That's pretty typical. Um, But one, but people used to call and complain about me in Springfield, like get that damn jab off TV. That's so disrespectful that she would be, you know, covering that Memorial Day ceremony. And um, I mean, just crazy stuff that I was so afraid that if people kept calling that I would lose my job, you know, because, um, because they already said there's no business plan for us. So why why would I be protected? Um, You know, so, so Springfield was cool, but also Springfield, I don't, none of those managers are still there. Right. But um, yeah, Springfield's like a great place to be except for when it's not. And then it's like a really, (laughs) a really terrible place to be. I mean, like I'm literally a part of a Facebook group for ethnic, like BIPOC, like young professionals Mm -hmm. who are like, Hey everybody, you, are you okay? Cause like even, you know, 10 years on, it's not like, it's a little bit better, but it's not that much better. And yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy because, you know, 2020, uh, everything breaks, pandemic and all that stuff. And you know how there are just loud trucks with American slash Confederate flags in the oh, back, sure. you know, just, just driving down the street. I mean, like literally in the same way that you were like, yeah, I was very afraid to lose my job. And just like that was Springfield for me was the place where I learned to be afraid of how I looked. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. like, I just I had never born that. Uh, I'd never carried that obviously like being raised by white people didn't even think about race. And so like Springfield, like was such a a moment for me to self-racialize and Mm -hmm. was just such a, like an intense, yeah, just just an intense uh, atmosphere. And I was grateful that I had this um, group and I had especially a couple of other Asian Americans and Asian American women specifically who I could talk to about this who Mm -hmm. weren't adoptees um, to just to like be like, how, how am I supposed to feel? I don't understand yeah. what this is like, um, which, yes, which is crazy. And I think leads us to kind of the next thing we wanted to talk to you about is specifically, I mean, and I'll, I'll say just cause I don't have my, I have my finger very, very, very far away from the pulse. Um, but like, AJ's so, off pulse for sure. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, my head is deep under a rock. Um, but <laughs> I'd heard, I'd heard your story. I'd heard your story about, um, the, the dumplings and, and the phone call and the voicemail mm-hmm. and all those things. And I was like, Oh man, that's, that's terrible. And then, uh, then later learned that you were an adoptee and I was like, <laughs> what? And then later, later learned about hashtag very Asian. Uh, and so it's just like kind of a oh, weird, wow. like a weird, like I'd learned about this in all the wrong order. Um, <laughs> But it's it, what's cra- what's just like amazing to me and astounding. And knowing your story now, I think it's uh, it makes sense for some of the experiences you've had. But what's what has this moment been? Whether it was the training ground that was Springfield, Missouri, or uh, you know, just like 
in, in terms of coming to, uh, to the fullness of your Koreanness and your Asian Americanness and all those things mm-hmm. and starting very Asian, but like, how is that adoptee perspective? Um, like what, like given that history, like, I don't know, how does it, how does it feel? I guess maybe is the question yeah. well, <laughs> to be an know, adoptee and have, and have very Asian be your thing and, and to I, be kind of like that leader in that, in that sense. I, see, it's weird because like I walk out of my house and nobody knows that I'm the very Asian lady except for my direct neighbors, you know? So I'm like, <laughs> like do people know what's kept? Is it a big deal? Like, I don't even know, you know, it's <laughs> weird when you have two, well, because I've never been viral before. Right. So right. it's like, you right. don't really um, understand this concept of like, you can have an identity online and an identity at school, you know, I mean, at, at your, at your home, um, because I'm still like taking my kid to daycare to his preschool and they don't give a shit. You know, they have right. like, no idea. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's to me, it's like, this is so bizarre. And also it just all lives, you know, like on your phone or your computer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, is this a, is this real? And then, you know, you have people who are in actual spaces like this and they're like, well, don't, you know, you're, when your 15 minutes is up, then what kind of actionable change are you going to bring to the table? And you're like, I don't know. I didn't even know I was going to do this, you know? Yeah. So Somebody like, just threw 15 minutes at me. Like, what are you yeah. and, then, and so, and then I was like, well, and this is the thing that sucks is because then you start being like, oh shit, man, I'm not even very Asian, you know, like I'm really right. not very Asian, but I will say it has this whole movement movement sounds even sillier coming out of your mouth. Um, but it, what it has done is actually given me confidence to be like, no, you don't get to say who's Asian and who's not Asian. Because when I walk out that door, nobody knows my background. Nobody knows my life. I could walk outside and someone could shoot me because they don't understand who I am. They don't take the time to know who I am. They just see an Asian face. So I'm not going to be apologetic for how I came into this world. I'm not going to be apologetic how I bring culture into my life. Um, at the end of the day, this is who I am. So, um, and that's why I think actually resonated with people because I got a lot of response from transracial adoptees, um, people who are of mixed race, people who are in the LGBTQ community, people who feel like, um, they have been defined as this, uh, well, in the media, I mean, I'm a part of that too, but like giving us this broad brushstroke of who we are, we, we're just, mm-hmm. we're not a monolith, you know, mm-hmm. we, and to me, it's this idea of like, who gets to define anything? Like, go fuck off, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like, because at the end of the day, when, for, for example, growing up in the Midwest as Asian is also like kind of intimidating because then mm-hmm. you're like, man, those West Coast Asians are real woke out there. And I don't <laughs> think I'm Asian enough. Well, I lived on the West Coast and discovered that like so many Asian people don't know their own culture either. Um, you know, I worked with Korean people in my newsroom who grew up in affluent Korean families and had like very Korean traditions. And I remember one time this woman came up to me. She's like, hey, can you translate Korean for me? And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah. She's like, I don't speak that. And I'm like, OK, but like you're like legit Korean. She's like, yeah, I know. But don't you know Korean? I thought you did. And I was like, well, I do. But not like you should. Have you seen my parents? I know. It's like. So to me, that gave me confidence. And then also, it just naturally happened and wasn't like seeking it out. But like all my girlfriends were Asian in Seattle, all my close Mm. ones. And there was so much that we, when we would talk, we actually didn't know about each other's cultures or supposed cultures. 
and also didn't know about our own culture. So I was like, oh, so this is all bullshit. Like none of you guys know anything, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it's like kind of like, well, why? So then really I should embrace the fact that I have made that effort to bring culture into my life, been intentional about the things that I bring into my life. And, um, and that should be rewarded. I mean, if not by anybody else, by me, you know, so I'm not yeah. going to let some, some nasty person say like, well, you know, she needs to keep her Korean to herself because even if I wanted to, I couldn't. And, and I remember even being in college, like when I was like, you know, after going to Korea, I was like, I've been to the motherland. I'm going to learn this culture. I'm going to learn this language and I'm going to fit in. Well, what did I do? I hung out with Korean uh, kids for like the first semester of my college life and they were assholes to me. You know, they were like, well, you're too whitewashed. You're not diverse enough. And I was like, well, we're in the science library and you're hanging out with Korean people only speaking Korean. So therefore I am more diverse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I was like, let's be honest. I got more people that I'm hanging out with. And I remember, you know, it just made me feel so bad because those kids are making me feel bad too. And in reality, we're all learning and trying on new things as we're getting older. Their brains aren't fully developed. Mine wasn't either. So it's like, I don't fault them, but I'm just saying, like at some point I had to be like, this is who you are. You are an adoptee. You are Michelle Sherwood. You know, like this is just who you are. Um, if people can't handle it, that's their problem. Um, you're going to have to find a way to love yourself. And of course, you know, that manifests in different ways and you're not always going to get it right. And it's always trial and error. But I was like, I'm not going to get support 100% from the Korean community. and I'm not going to get 100% from the white community. So um, I just going to have to give it to myself, I guess, you know? Um, so yeah, so it's really weird to be a part of like this very Asian thing, knowing that I am not very Asian. And at the same time, I think it's beautiful because I think a lot of people are tired of letting other people define very Asian for them. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, Especially for the adoptee community too. I yeah. think uh, just as, as we just passed Lunar New Year for myself specifically, you know, the this this imposter syndrome of feeling uh, very Asian or Asian enough that I can cook an Asian meal, a Korean meal, and still be Korean, but yet never. This is the second time I've ever cooked it, I've ever had it, yeah. and, and I'm 45, so all of a sudden I'm having this dish. We're not that... ageist on the show, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. So it's just funny that that feel. I think that's what you know, kind of what you're saying is it. it no one should judge us, and we shouldn't judge ourselves as well. Yeah. Yeah, because we're always, because that's the thing. Like, then I started being like, well, gosh, now I'm feeling like an imposter because I don't celebrate Lunar New Year. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let anyone um, define that for me. Like, yes, we do do some Lunar New Year things, but only because I've got other friends who do it. And really, it's just about eating food. So get over it. It's fine, you know? I mean, and there's there's um, sometimes money involved. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and some right. sort of card game that we've yeah. found out about, but we haven't played yet. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Well, that's um, the thing. Okay, so, oh, can I just say one thing? Yeah, that's go for one it. Thing I, pan I panicked about because when I said I ate dumpling soup because that's what a lot of Koreans do, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to get my Korean card taken away from me because it really was dukguk, which is rice cake. Yeah. That's not dumpling. Not dumplings. I mean, if, you put, if you put mandu in there, I put it's mandu fine. in mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I panicked a little bit because I saw on one of the Korean threads, like, why did she say dumplings? You know, like, and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. But then yeah. it's like, well, you know, um, whatever. 
so it's just this idea of like, I just, I'm going to stop being apologetic for who I am. Like, it's just, um, if that's that's what we can get out of it and I'm going to take that as far as I can. I really love where, what, what you're, what you're saying, because I think it's so in line with the ethos of this show. And honestly, I think one of the reasons it really was important to me, and I know a lot of people in the adoptee community specifically to see an adoptee leading this movement, not to say that you're the leader, but you know, you just, you got thrust in this position (laughs) unexpectedly on, you didn't ask for this. Um, But not only have you, not only did you react in a very professional way uh, just to get the word out there, but I think your response, your initial response was really powerful because in that and knowing that you're an adoptee, made me feel seen and heard. And I think pre Atlanta, I hate to say, I hate to use Atlanta as like a, as like a a milestone date, but, uh, but it was March 16th, like pre Atlanta, we we were having conversations. I was with other adoptees about how do we find ourselves at the table where adoptee voices are heard and are represented? Like, how do we do that? And then Atlanta happened. And I think for whatever reason, like some of that went to the side and we, we, we just started saying, we are enough. We need to be at the table now because it doesn't matter. They're going to kill us anyway. They're going to come right. after us anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we, as we've, as we've done on the show, as we've continued to amplify voices, as we've seen allies can, and from outside of the community start to amplify our voices as well. I think knowing that it's a Korean adoptee specifically, but for us, but just an adoptee in general, leading this really broad Pan Asian movement that has really taken the world by storm like it's not like it's just it wasn't just a week-long news thing and then it was gone like this is here to stay and this is something that's going to be impacting our community for a long time i think you um, think really i, yeah. do, I, mean, I, I, I really don't know like i live in my <laughs> bubble so i'm like do you really think it's gonna stay because i i <laughs> i really do because i think something that's i really love about you is that you're an amplifier and a supporter of other people. And like you said, you know, you already been hanging out with diverse groups of, of friends and people. And I see that in your feed too. Like the voices you amplify, it's not just one person or one type of group of people. It's across everyone. And I feel, I really, really love that. And I think that what you're doing with the foundation, with Very Asian, I think is, is speaks to that. It speaks to the fact that we have to be in solidarity, not only with each other, but we have to be in solidarity with as many people as possible. If we're going to push back against uh, the people of the world who are telling us that we're or we're too Korean or to keep keep our blackness or keep our queerness to ourselves, keep your disabilities away from me. No, we can't do that. And we have to be working together in order to push back against that. And yeah. so I think one of the other questions that we wanted to ask you was, what is what is the foundation specifically like what's or what are you and and Gia and and whoever's involved looking to do with this? And like, what's, what's the mission? What's the goal? What, what, what's year one look like? (laughs) I don't know. I was just a lot. (laughs) It's so funny because it's like, we've only been a foundation for like a week. Um, and we're trying to figure all that stuff out, you know. You weren't like, yeah, give us your strategic plan, 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 documents. Like, here's your 10-year here's your tenure goal. I mean, you've also yeah. already been on Ellen, so you're already, you know, <laughs> oh that's a God. pretty good start. Yeah. But I'm just like hoping, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's hard because, okay, so the mission right now is to is to amplify diverse AAPI voice, AAPI NH voices, um, by raising money for organizations already doing great work. 
but like, and that's, we said, um, was, I think what you actually said, like, you know, our mission is to amplify diverse API NH voices um, through education, storytelling, and community partnerships, but by raising money for other groups. Mm-hmm. So I got to, we got to narrow that. I mean, make that a little bit more succinct, but basically it's like, we believe that um, API education should be in schools. We believe that um, every story is unique and worth sharing and um, to get over the, you know, to get past things like the model minority myth, you know, or the monolith stories um, that we each have unique, important stories and they matter and they are equal. And then also, um, I think through community partnerships, where how can we lift up other people in our community? For example, in St. Louis, um, we had a Chinatown that was 100 years old from 1860. To like 1960. Well, Missouri became a state in 1920. So we've been here, you know, and the fact that mm-hmm. like you can still go to a meeting, like a city council meeting, and someone can say, you know, St. Louis is just a black and white city. Bullshit. It is mm-hmm. not a black and white city. We have been here for centuries. We've been here for a long time, for generations, and flourished. And so this idea, this erasure that's been happening all across the country, you know, the fact that we don't teach our kids about the Exclusion Act, that we don't teach our kids about internment, that we don't celebrate like people like Anna Mae Wong, you know, these are things that are problematic because they're American and they're just because they're Asian American doesn't mean they're not American. These are very Mm -hmm. American stories. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I'm just saying, so we raise money for like, you know, groups like AAJA because AAJA is not just for journalists. It actually calls people out when ESPN years ago wrote Jeremy Lin. It's a chink in the armor. You know, AJA came out and said, that's bullshit. That's not the language that you use. Uh, when women, when everyone got, um, when Atlanta happened, AJ came out and said, hey, you don't know if they're sex workers. Let's look at this language. You mm-hmm. know, so there are a lot of things like that AJA does that not only builds equity in newsrooms, but also gives fair coverage so that it benefits everybody. So that's why I say through storytelling, because AAJA, you know, journalists uncover community stories. And there are enough journalists, you know, there are Asian American journalists all in every city, you know, so we can amplify good stories uh, or stories that need to be told. And then community partnerships is just like, you know, getting history told or helping our, our businesses, you know, helping our API businesses that have suffered during the pandemic or whatever it is. So it is pretty broad. Um, and there are organizations already doing great work. My thing is like, I said to our, our, our small board, I said, I would really like to be able to say, Hey, if, a, if a transracial adoptee wants to go to their birth country, um, but it's inequitable for them because now they're married and they've got kids and they can't just leave for two weeks. Maybe we should have a scholarship for them. I know that there are, um, adoption agencies that do that already, but maybe people don't want to be connected to an adoption agency. Maybe right. they want to be connected to people on the ground there who can help them or whatever. Maybe we should help people find a, find a way to incorporate in te- you know, a culture into their life. So, um, so that's kind of what I was on. I was like, we need to have scholarships and grants so that people can find out who they are or, you know, or invest in themselves in different ways that aren't tied to organizations as well. Um, we've also seen a lot of incredible artwork over the last four weeks. So how do we help makers? Like, how do we help, you know, promote people creating beautiful artwork or whatever it is um, and amplify what they're doing? So 
I mean, I've got like ideas in my head. What I really need to do is start with just our bylaws. (laughs) 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 We need a logo. (laughs) We need a website. (laughs) I mean, those are things that we need. But I just, I I find myself talking a million miles a minute because I actually find myself getting really passionate about it because there's just so much stuff that's not happening for us. Mm -hmm. My son, my husband's wife, my son is mixed. Um, We can find a book about mixed children. Um, but we can't find a, a story that reflects our family, right. you know, because we don't, I don't have Korean culture that I'm bringing into our life every day or, you know, his, or his grandparents are white. So there's a, you know, there are just a lot of different things that we don't have. And I would like to be able to find, you know, in many ways, like be a hub of information where you're cur- curating content, but this is like down the road, you know, um, Sound like six months. Yeah, six months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see we're going. Yes, yeah. So you know, because I just feel like there's just we know that there are people out like us who exist in the world. So where's our content? Where? Yeah, what's, exactly. what's in it for us? You know. I mean, um, that's what well, that's what our show was born out of. It was yeah. like, where's our content? And we're like, if you know, if we're if this is what we need, then we're gonna make our own damn table and yeah, and ha- invite everybody to it. And I think. I think like when you were like, do you think it very Asian has legs? Like it absolutely does. And I, I know that because I remember some early conversations post Atlanta, you saw, you know, stop API hate coming out. And that was like the trending hashtag. But then people were pushing back like, well, is there something like more, you know, like you think about like black lives matter that that's like, that's not, mm-hmm. not just a, a, a means of protest, but it's also a means of celebration. It's a means yeah. of like saying, and, and I remember like, Right after, like, I, I finally caught up to current events and started tracking Very Asian. I saw uh, one creator mashed up, um, I, I hope that you've seen it, mashed up Very Asian and Sandra O's quote of, and so, um, and it's oh, just this it's beautiful art piece. Yeah. Yes. It's well, just an honor. It's to, yeah, it, it was, I'll have to find it. I'll send it to you. But it's just, I mean, it, it literally brought me to tears. And I think it speaks to the progression of Asian Americans having a moment where we under like we begin to reckon with what does it mean to be Asian American in a way that maybe the black community and indigenous communities and, and native communities are like, well, we, I mean, we get what it means like, because we, the, you know, greater oppression, but greater adversity creates that, that, uh, whatever compress, whatever they were like, like this is what we're born out of. And I think we're Asian Americans are, are seeing this and, and experiencing this and very Asian is a hashtag that doesn't, doesn't wrap itself up necessarily in um, stopping something. It's not necessarily reactionary, but in and of itself is something to be celebrated and is born out of adversity and is born out of like social justice and, and advocacy. And, but it's, it's us advocating for ourselves. And, and I think like for me, like just doubles, triples the weight, knowing that there is this incredible intersectionality of transracial adoption behind their Asian that we all find ourselves in right and that we all are like I don't know because if you're a seventh generation Japanese American you're like I'm so far removed from like Japan and yet I still carry that with me and here all of us stand very Asian together and this is a thing that we get to work towards so I think it's it's fantastic what you're doing and I'm so excited to uh to support very Asian foundation and uh to help you make that six month goal turn into like a three week action plan, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Like I think you just so much acceleration, like let's make it happen. I really appreciate it. I was going to ask you guys. So like, what do you think variation should do? Like, what is the thing that you would like to see? Is it an actionable, actionable change item? Is it like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking like, I just got it off a bunch of ideas, but is there something like that you think 
needs to happen. I mean, I think from a broad perspective, especially what you talked about in terms of like supporting other organizations, but I think redefining what it means to be just very Asian in general and providing us the space. I think that's like, and then not that you, not very Asian, not the foundation has to be the one that redefines it, but like is continuing to help push for that. Like you said, you've already having conversations about, hey, a scholarship for adoptees who are wanting to go on. Uh, not even maybe a reunion search, but just like a, a home a home tour, cultural essentially search. go home. Yeah. yeah, like a cultural journey. And I think I think just even like those little things are so important because I think especially over the last two years, we've seen a lot of organizations come up and raise a lot of money to do a lot of things for different places. And I think there's always going to be the gaps where we miss, you know, I think and I think. What I love about Variation, like what KJ said, is like it helps us to really reconcile with that and find ourselves where those gaps are and fill that. And so I guess for me, very broadly speaking, that was not really an actual item at all. But um, that's what I that's what I think of when I think about just be, being very Asian. The hashtag, the movement, the the foundation itself is like helping to fill those gaps. Yeah, I think that's a lovely idea too because it it helps adoptees reconcile with our identity outside of the system, you know. And what exactly. I heard from your story is you had kind of the opportunity where you like you didn't follow the proper channels, you just showed up and you were like, "Hey, uh, I know I was adopted to this agency, but I'm going to go on your tour and I'm going to show up at my agency." And you're like, "Hey, is there a way that I can like we have a, a proper procedure?" And you're like, "Well, f that procedure." I'm already here though. Mom. Yeah, yeah, like just like, all like I'm things. not coming back to this place. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how expensive it is? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I mean realistically like yeah just just ways that we can examine what it means to be asian american human all those things um in a way like like for me it's been a real privilege to be uh to have a friendship with uh, one of my friends in springfield who works in government and she is japanese american and also a woman so she obviously has to deal with a lot more crap than i ever did but um dealing with like that it like learning about her approach to being japanese american has helped me celebrate uh, what it means to be Japanese American, what it means for her, what, you know, and like, obviously that's not a thing that I, but in this, in the same way that you said, I don't really celebrate Lunar New Year, even though like Koreans historically do, but I do it with my friends, I think is having like amplifying voices of, uh, all of our intersectional, like part of the pan Asian identity, right. Whether that's, uh, West Asia, South Asia, East Asia, like all those and, and finding all those things and bringing lots of people together. So it's not just, uh, Koreans talking about what it means to be Korean American for Koreans, but it's like actually how we can bring lots of people and give people a platform so that we begin to build intersectional identities and we can then collectively join into all of our celebrations and realize that like, even if you don't celebrate Lunar New Year, like you can still, you know how to do these things and can still help introduce people to it and still help people fall in love with this part of our culture and this part of what it means to be American, you know, by amplifying other voices. And I think that that, um, it's just like simple, quote unquote, simple content generation and like an amplification of voices is like a great first step is like, let's just build in what it means to be like, if we're going to be very Asian, then let's, let's get all of them and let's celebrate all of it. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, when we well, started, it was just for the Korean adoptees and, you know, we were trying to amplify Korean adoptee voices mm -hmm. and, and our voices in general, just the three of us. Um, so like KJ said, <laughs> very Asian could be a lot more voices, not just, you know, the Korean adoptee community it could be a lot of, a lot of them. And maybe, maybe that's starting a podcast or YouTube channel or some other things like that. I mean, I know a great producer, 
Yeah, yeah. Jerry, but, yeah, yeah, uh, but other than that, <laughs> honestly, the voices, <laughs> he's, yeah, he pops in just for that. Thumbs up, probably. Are you talking about me? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's that's why we started this. I mean, it was just really for us, but same thing. It, it's branched off into hearing so many stories and, and meeting so many amazing people like yourself. And so that's something that we are very fortunate to, uh, to have come across. So. Oh my gosh. Okay, you guys have like lifted me up today. So now I'm going to go out and do something <laughs> on my happen. list. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Every day I look at my list and I'm like, oh my Ooh, God. A very, how about a very Asian cookbook? <laughs> that would be oh, amazing. Like That's that. not bad. Yeah. Nathan, Nathan, I will help. Food. <laughs> Nathan's like, as long as I can be featured. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, Michelle, I, I, we really appreciate you giving us this time. The viewer at home, because there are no viewers, they're just listeners, um, can't sit, can't tell. But it's gotten progressively darker in the room that Michelle's in. So that means that she's and she's given us quite a bit of her time uh, out of a really extremely busy schedule. Yeah, anyone and, who comes in with the title parent, I'm just like, thank you so much for making it. <laughs> yeah. Regardless exactly. of what else we do, thank you. Um, and so before we transition to our food section. Uh, Michelle, where can people find you and how can they get in touch with uh, the, the foundation? Ooh, okay, so right now um, we are just basically Google the Very Asian Foundation. Very Asian Foundation. Did I say that right? Um, right now we are also very flat, very-asian.com. However, that was just for like a pop-up. We need to change mm-hmm. to a .org. So there, we'll probably just reroute and redirect things. But Eventually, we'll probably be like variation.org if I had to guess, you know, or variationfoundation.org. Gotcha. Um, but right now, we're very-asian.com. Oh, whatever. Anyway. Um, <laughs> find it on the Googles. Yes. Find it on the Googles. Okay. Hashtag um, Wherever we are, it's just like find us on social media and then it'll lead you to our website. Mm-hmm, uh, perfect. Yeah. And we're on <laughs> my son goes, Mom, can you hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> He's great. Mom, can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> He's so funny. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just everywhere on the internet, basically. I'm on, supposedly, I'm on TikTok, but I haven't really posted anything. So, I need to get right. in. I need to let the kids do we that. We also should probably figure that out, but. Nah. Nah. That's where everybody is, but it's just so much work. Yeah, like, you might start dancing or something. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have I have, dance, I, I, I have literally tried to make so many videos. Like, you know, I'll like lip sync something. I'm like, this I look like an asshole. I'm like, <laughs> like, I, internet, I am a mother. I do not have time <laughs> for this. I just look super thirsty on it. So I just, I'm like, no, I can't do it. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird. Well, you're already doing a lot of incredible things, so I think that is perfectly okay. Yeah. Um, but Michelle, again, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure and privilege to have you here with us on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing about all the incredible work that you're doing. Um, we're going to take a very short break, and then we'll be right back with food talk or food eat. I don't really know what's happening, but we'll be right back. Welcome back to the John Cheese Show. We are here with our food talk. That's what we're going to call this section now because we don't have a food to eat, but we're going to talk about a food. Uh, and we just had a great uh, interview with Michelle Lee. Thank you so much again oh, for, for that. Since we don't have a food to eat, I was thinking it would be fun we could talk about 
<laughs> foods that we ate, uh, either that we enjoy an Asian dish or something from a restaurant or something um, that we grew up with. Uh, I mean, we just passed Lunar New Year, so you know, some of us made some food, some of us maybe discovered a new food. I don't know. It's anything that we can just talk about something okay. that has to do with that. So, um, Michelle, feel free because you were just kind of briefly telling us about uh, something that sounds very interesting that I've I've definitely never heard of. Okay, so you've never heard of a St. Paul sandwich. St. Paul, no. you know, okay. no. So I didn't realize this. This is a St. Louis thing, but a lot of St. Louisans don't know about it, actually. Huh. I mean, some do, but I like my family, they were like, what is that? So it's um, basically the rumor was back in the day, which I don't know when the day was. But, the um, day. We the all day. remember the day. <laughs> the, day. <laughs> the, day. Yep, the day that we all remember. <laughs> the rumor has it that there was a Chinese restaurant owner who said, how do I get more people to buy my food? Well, it looks like a lot of these people like sandwiches. So what I'm going to do is make a Chinese dish that's a sandwich. So they took an egg foo young patty. <laughs> yeah. And they take, they take egg foo young and they fry it up. They put it on white bread. It's got to be white bread with mayonnaise right. and pickles. And it is, I'm not kidding, the wow. most delicious thing ever. First of all, it's like bon me in the sense that it's like less than $3. You know, you can go and get it. Yeah. Um, it's greasy. It's crunchy. You can put usually. I think the big one is is shrimp, but a lot of people do pork or chicken or whatever. Um, it's salty. It's just so good, and you have to eat it fairly fast because of the bread kind of just melts away on it. Right. Um, and it's like the you know the cheapest white bread that you can get that makes it so good. Like, you know, it's like it's so good. And I don't know if that's really the, you know, that's the legend that it was like, well, we got to start selling to people who eat sandwiches. And that's what St. Louisans like. But um, that's the story that stuck around. And it's really popular um, in, I would probably say it's more like Asian and black communities in St. Louis okay. that dig the St. Paul. Can you give me like some neighborhoods in St. Louis where I could potentially go find it? Because the next time oh, I'm up everywhere. there, I'm like. Well, yeah, you can sure, go anywhere, anywhere. anywhere. Um, anywhere. Yeah, because I've looked around and it's sandwich. like, yeah, the St. Paul sandwich. I think Literally, I, I if you're paying more than five bucks, you're getting ripped off. It's got to be like <laughs> Funny. Yeah. All right. Interesting. I wonder where that name out. came from. Because I, I was thinking, it was like when you said St. Paul, I was thinking like Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, there's like a St. Charles up yeah. on like the north side, but mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know where St. Paul came from, but whatever. Yeah, that sounds either. dope. That, that sounds. sounds really is there like a traditional really like? Does it just like come with a side of fries or like, or like whatever? <laughs> no, it's just. I mean, you just get the sandwich, so it's like right. you know you could get maybe fried rice or something with it. But it's and I always kind of feel like it's like the dirtier the place looks, the better it is. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, I'm not like. Yeah, that's like a Midwest thing, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like a Midwest well, also, thing. Yeah. Also, like, if you're, if you're getting a sandwich like that, like, you should immediately feel it in your heart. Otherwise, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, heart! Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. That's awesome. What about you guys? Can you think of anything that uh, you had as uh, from your hometowns or growing up? Not growing up, I didn't really have access to a whole lot of ethnically different food. Um, have, like, but cashew chicken? I know we had like a well, we had a Chinese restaurant come out at some point and it was more I felt like it was more Panda Express like than actually like traditional like actual or Chinese food. But there's a new restaurant, a Thai restaurant that opened up here in Indianapolis um, that my wife and I went to. It's really good. It's called the Bodhi. <clears throat> it's run by three generations of Thai women. And 
Um, they have a lot of different dishes that are great, but the thing that really stuck out to me was the the spring rolls because the grandmother wakes up every morning and goes in there and hand rolls all the spring rolls. So if you want them, you got to get there and get them uh, early. And they are probably the best roll of one of the best or the best spring roll I've probably ever had. So it's like really fresh in my mind because now I want that, but we're in a blizzard, so I can't go get it. And now I'm sad. <laughs> okay. Nathan, what about you? Uh, well, we already talked about Brahms, so I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll spare that story again. But Nathan's favorite ethnic food is Brahms. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amazing. you know. So one thing that I, I remember uh, when you know because. The whole coming out of the fog when we start, you know, exploring more Asian food or our Asian culture, things like that. Um, one of the things when I was in L.A. is really kind of when it started for me, because being in Los Angeles, I had a lot more access to diverse uh, food cuisines and things like that. So I remember about I don't remember exactly what year I want to say it was uh, like around 2009, 2010 or so um, was the like this huge rush of food trucks. And uh, I love you know, fusion. That's something I feel because I am a, a fusion in a way of being American, Korean, and, you know, an adoptee. I'm a fusion. So <laughs> fusion food has always spoken to me. And so when Roy Choi came out with the Kogi taco truck, that that was amazing to me. Having like Korean, uh, you know, beef wrapped up in like a taco was just, I don't know. It's kind of like maybe that's the same concept. Putting something amazing, an Asian food, into like a sandwich or a handheld <laughs> item like that is the key because <laughs> I was like, you know what white people yeah. like these days? Tacos. Sandwiches. Yeah. And tacos. Them to eat more of my food. Put it in a taco. Yeah. Either that or put it on a stick because, you know, and that's another thing is the Koreans had it right when they put the hash browns on a corn dog or a cheese stick. So that, that's pretty amazing oh God, also. Yeah. So Very I have to true. say, that that Kogi that Kogi truck really did it for me, and it really kind of branched me off into trying more um, foods like that and more Korean. Brahms to Kogi, yeah, <laughs> Kogi. Um, yeah, you know what's what's wild is like. So we recently moved back to Dallas from Springfield, and whenever Sarah and I reminisce about Springfield, we actually more often than not are thinking about Asian food places, uh, and like obviously Sue's was great. There's Korean food here, so like that's. It's not, you know, that's that's fine. But um, there's a place called Scully's where you could get like a good uh, ramen or like a what they call like a wok bowl kind of mm -hmm. thing. That was really good. There's a place called Craft Sushi where you could do it's like a like a chipotle but for poke bowls. Um, yeah. And that one was kind of new. And I'm like, oh man, that's great because we eat chipotle all the time. But if we want the same thing that's not chipotle, <laughs> we can get it Asian flavored. Um, that's a Korean American owner. Um, there's like Korean fried chicken which I still want to try. There was. Um, Oh, Korea, literally just called Korea, but spelled phonetically where you can get like bibimbap. And that was always amazing. Hmm. Like there's just like so many good Asian places in Springfield. I'm like, man, what? Why? I don't know. I don't, so I don't know. Like there's just like a level of like comfort food. Obviously, like it is comfort food. Whenever I have like traditional Korean food or some of those places, they're just like, man, this just like feels good in my heart and in my my stomach and i'm i'm usually eating with close friends you know like either like this is a favorite place to go or i get to introduce someone to this food um and i'm like yeah you need to stop eating from mexican villa or you need to stop eating at you know whatever i'm like here's some, here's some villa, other things. you're gonna diss mexican villa. i've never been <laughs> i've only heard stories <laughs> but i still i stand by my dissing of mexican villa. Someone oh dang on. So anyways, yeah. 
Um, but it was just like, yeah, so it's always just a privilege to, to eat there and to introduce friends to it and be like, oh, man, I love this food. And be like, hooray, we've converted another white person, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like those are the places that really stand out to me uh, and foods that I that I love. Although I will just say japchae is probably my favorite traditional Korean food. And I got to have that for this solal. And that was mm. amazing. So Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Well, very nice. Again, Michelle, thank you so much for, yes, for coming so, on so the much. show, uh, the podcast, the just for your time and your story, and just doing, doing the work. The work. Yeah. Doing the work. I sorry, oh. didn't get the cue to say that. Doing the work at the same time as you guys. Um, yeah, but thank you, thank you so much. Uh, we're gonna link the socials for both you and the foundation in the show notes. And in the meantime, y'all know where you can find us at John Chi Show on all the social media platforms. You can go to johnchishow.com backslash support to figure out ways to support us. I guess you'll find out ways, not figure them out for yourself. Um, you can also leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, preferably Apple Podcasts, right? now because spotify we're just gonna push it over here to the side for a moment and if you are feeling up to it and you have a question or something that you'd like us to talk about on the show you can reach out and leave us a voicemail that number is 972-677-8867 you can also send us an email to john show at justlikemedia.com i have been patrick at patrick in the world on instagram that's nathan at and Nowak, and that's kj at kj relke wherever he wants to be found and that is it for our show this week. So until next Wednesday, John Chi, hey